השם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך. ברוכים הבאים to everybody for uh, continuing another week, or starting a new week, בעזרת השם, with uh, some שיעורי תורה, some uh, תורה that's going to reinvigorate our נשמות, give us some strength for the rest of the week, and בעזרת השם, for the rest of our lives. Uh, tonight's show will be for Refua Shlema, for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Avi Mori David Ben Esriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Zora, and also for the Atzlacha Rabba of all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue supporting us with all the extraordinary projects that the organization is doing. Uh, as a reminder for everybody, two things. One, Bezot uh, Hashem, we have a scheduled trip to come to uh, New York, to the tri-state area in the middle of uh, December, right before, a uh, week before uh, Hanukkah. For any of you that have been uh, asking me about when I'm coming to New York, if you want to step up to the plate and arrange a shiur, get a crowd together at your shul or your uh, office or house or wherever it is, please contact events at bhtorah.org, events at bhtorah.org. That's where you can contact us, and Bezat Hashem, we could arrange a uh, shiu uh, that uh, Bezat Hashem will uh, give some people chizuk, whatever subject you want. The Torah, Baruch Hashem, is endless. Uh, the other thing is also for uh, the uh, those of you that have uh, already stepped up and started uh, sending some funds to uh, contribute to the uh, new um, uh, movie that's coming out, Bezat Hashem, soon. We'll be having a campaign uh, for the Geno movie. Uh, Hashem, the movie is ready and uh, now we're uh, looking for some uh, you know serious sponsors that are going to step up and help us get this movie in front of as many people as possible the hard job has already been done uh, but now of course we want to make sure that this is going to get to as many people as possible uh, I can't really emphasize this enough that uh, this is going to be Be'ezrat Hashem the most powerful Torah movie ever uh, not just before it, but after it, simply because I don't see myself ever having the ability to bring anything uh, as strong as this. Uh, and I'm not talking about uh, gruesome or, or things of that nature. That we already did with the Chibuta Kever movie. Uh, just this movie was, Bo Hashem, done very well with uh, a lot of uh, uh, proofs, a lot of uh, sources. There are literally, I think, something in the neighborhood uh, of a couple of hundred sources uh, of Torah uh, that are quoted on the screen where anyone that wants to uh, delve into this uh, topic even further uh, if they still see the need uh, they could go into uh, endless sources from uh, all realms of the Torah whether it's from the Shulchan Aruch and the world of Halacha uh, or it's the Gemara or it's the different Chachamim that are from Hasidut or uh, Kabbalah uh, literally all you know parts of the Torah were uh, covered and quoted in this movie. We put, we made sure to put uh, all of the uh, sources on the screen, and there's also a list at the end of the movie. So, Baruch Hashem, there's an enormous amount of uh, information there for for a person to learn, for a person to uh, to take in, and uh, most importantly, for a person to uh, you know apply to their life uh, in order to make sure that they never have to go to this horrible place. Now, the, uh, the Gano movie is by far the most costly movie, uh, most time-consuming movie we ever did. Uh, you'll see it, uh, you'll know why when you see it. It's a, almost a three-hour movie. 
uh, cost a fortune and will probably, uh, not probably, will continue to cost a fortune if we want to get it out there. Now, the reason why I say this is the strongest movie we've ever done and why I'm emphasizing this again is simply because anybody out there that has funds, that has the ability to donate, uh, there's probably not going to be any other Kiruv project like it ever again. Not by me or I don't think anybody else once it's done. Perhaps there's going to be some copycats and we look forward to seeing them and seeing everybody else do it the same, do the same thing because that means there's more Torah in the world. But of course, everybody knows that if you were able to invest into a Amazon or a Google when it was a penny stock, you'd be a very rich man. This is uh, uh, the same concept where anybody that invests into this movie is uh, assuring themselves that uh, they'll have a share in every single person that watches this movie. And I can tell you that, you know, we don't use marketing for our regular lectures. Uh, the uh, most popular lecture that we've ever had, uh, you know, throughout all of the lectures, eight years of lectures, 3,000 videos, uh, has been the Gehenom uh, uh, Shiur. There was a three-hour Shiur that we made about Gehenom. And this is a topic that uh, apparently interests a lot more people than rabbis think. Uh, tens of thousands of people have watched that lecture just on my own YouTube channel. I think it's maybe 50, 60,000 people. And of course, in the other channels and the apps, there's tens of thousands of people have watched that lecture time and time again in order to really get a full understanding uh, of the subject. But that particular lecture only had part of the information. The movie has probably three times more information uh, and sources and, and, and interesting details that were never mentioned in any other lecture. Uh, so uh, if anybody that gets involved in such a thing uh, is uh, surely putting themselves in a good position to avoid Gehenom. Uh, you know, of, of course, assuming that they apply the teachings to their life. Don't think that if you send a few hundred thousand dollars, that means you can make as many sins as you want. No, you, it's better off you don't send any money. Uh, if you're going to continue making sins. But at least if you try your best to do tshuva and you uh, have the ability to invest, whether it's $1,000 or $50,000 or whatever it is, this is something that I would say is by far the best investment you can make in the Torah world right now, uh, just simply because there's, any, there's nothing like it. You know, kolels, there are many. Yeshivot, there are many. You know, rabbis, kiruv rabbis, Baruch Hashem, there are many but only a few that are actually decent as we've spoken about many times uh you know different uh, projects that everybody has there are many but a project like this is simply unheard of because no one uh, has done it and uh this particular topic is uh something that the satan fights very hard against uh it's part of the reason of why it took so much time and effort and resources to put this uh, movie together uh, i don't think anybody's going to be disappointed uh, in fact, I think everyone is going to be uh, reinvigorated after watching that movie with Yirat Shemaim, with clear knowledge, and simply with enough arguments to fight against any heretic on planet Earth, uh, you know, regarding this topic. Because many people tell me, listen, you know, I believe everything that you say because you quote the sources, but I have this rabbi, or I have this friend, or I have this uncle, or I have this somebody that tells me, no, it's exaggerated, no, it's this, no, we don't believe that way, that's Christian, that's that. Well, once you have all of these sources in front of you, once you have this movie, you'll have the number one tool ever to uh, actually, uh, in, in as far as digital media is concerned, uh, in order to address any Yetzirah coming from inside or out. 
so Be'ezat Hashem, we're looking forward to releasing this video very soon. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to having a uh, uh, campaign uh, for those of you that want to donate. Uh, you can already donate now, but anyone that wants to donate to the campaign, that should be ready within the next day or two. Uh, and then as far as, there's um, going to be a couple of uh, options for people that have the ability and the interest uh, to donate large amounts uh, to putting their actual name on the uh, in the video itself, uh, unless you want to remain anonymous, which of course it's up to you. Uh, but uh, I think that this is certainly something that uh, will bring a lot of uh, you know kavod and honor. That's good honor and good kavod that could actually encourage other people to also do mitzvot. So I wouldn't even recommend doing this anonymously. Uh, I would actually recommend people actually wanting to put their names on it because this could potentially encourage your friends and family to watch this video uh, since you put your uh, you know your efforts behind it and your resources behind it and they see that they see them black and white but either way everybody has you know can make their own decisions uh, I'm never one to be uh, to recommend putting names on buildings or names on yeshivot or anything like that uh, you know but in this particular case there's an exception simply because having your name on it having your contribution as part of it could seriously encourage other people to watch it and if they watch it, there's no doubt in my mind, they will do tshuva. This is the tshuva movie of all time uh, that uh, applies to everybody. You know, the other movies that we've had, Baruch Hashem, have, herp, have helped, uh, you know, millions of people. They've uh, reached millions of people, both Jews and non-Jews. You know, people that have health issues, money issues, uh, ambition, failure, obviously connected to my personal story movie. People that are living in this world of lies connected to the world of lies movie. People that have uh, morality issues, wasting seed, adultery, things of that nature. The Tikkun Abrit movie. People that have uh, serious Yirat Shemaim problems, no longer had them after they watched at least the first 20 minutes of the Chibuta Kevel movie. So all of these movies reached many, many people. But uh, every one of those movies applied to certain people. This particular movie is based on the foundation of all of Judaism, meaning without believing in everything that's said in this movie, uh, a person simply cannot consider themselves as a kosher Jew that can be counted as part of a minyan. It's to that extent. So it covers every aspect of the reward and punishment as far as the, the, the part of Gehenom, why the rational approach, the halachic approach, the, uh, the, you know, the approach in regards to sources of Torah, and different aspects of it that we took different bits from different lectures over the years, uh, along with other things that are outside of the realm of lectures, such as scientists, psychologists, and things of that nature. So, this is coming out very soon. Anyone that's interested could contact us, could donate, whatever you want to do. Uh, but this is coming out very, very soon. So, with that being said, we're going to continue on, uh, on this series of the Jewish Ashkafa. Uh, this is going to be a very, very fun shiur. Uh, it's going to be a fun shiur for anybody that uh, watches it, whether you are a Frum Jew or you're a, uh, new to it or you're a Noahide, because this has to do with the stories of the Torah. So it's not going to be anything gruesome in essence as far as the, uh, the Gehenom topic we just talked about as far as the movie. This is going to be a lot more fun in a, in a sense that it's going to be a, uh, something that's going to help us understand not only the, uh, some of the stories of the Torah, but really the reasons behind it. Now, last week in one of our lectures, we discussed that, uh, you know, why there are, why there's a, uh, a stories in a Torah. And we have the, uh, the Rambam 
writes in his Morei uh, Nevuchim, in his Morei Nevuchim, in the third uh, segment of it, uh, chapter 3, uh, section 50, that uh, the reason why Kadosh Baruch Hu included stories inside the Torah uh, is because this is the way for us to learn the ways of, of God. Uh, so the way, you know, in order for us to learn uh, about God, we have to learn his Torah. Now, if, you, if it was just a rule book, similar to, let's say, the Shulchan Aruch or a, a responsa by one of the Chachamim, then you would learn what Hashem wants, but you wouldn't necessarily learn about His ways. Uh, so hence, the reason why Hashem included different stories in the Torah is for us to learn the ways of God. The same concept and the same rationale is behind the reason why the Gemara, uh, you know, whether it's the Yerushalmi or the Bavli or the Zohar, uh, or you know, or the uh, uh, the midrashim, why they also have stories in them, which is to both learn the the righteousness of our sages. Uh, obviously, some certain parts of, of history itself, but even more so than anything else, the ways of God. So the more a person learns how Hashem deals with certain certain uh, certain uh, uh, issues that uh, come up in his world the more a person will get to know Hashem and thereby fear Hashem and, and eventually can even fall in love with Hashem. The less a person connects to these stories, the less they're going to be connected to Hashem. So the Chazunish, he brings up a story in last week's uh, Shiul uh, where he, he talks about how there are certain people that uh, they feel that their Yirat Shemaim, their observance of mitzvot, is, uh, is, is enough when it's specifically focused on their relationship with the Creator. You know, many people today, especially those that uh, like to, uh, uh, you know, be like the, uh, you know, the, the, the nice ones, where they want you to, uh, uh, to, uh, to like them, they tell you it's all about the Creator, love the Creator, and of course, you're right, you need to love the Creator, you need to fear the Creator, but there's also relationship between man and man. Uh, uh, you know, which also mean men and women and women and women. Uh, so, so the key is that sometimes people think that the Torah limits the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, is limited to if you do really well in one aspect, such as the, your relationship between you and God, then it's okay for you to not necessarily do so well in other respects, such as between you and another person. And the Chazoni says there's nothing further from the truth. There's nothing further from the truth. If a person does not, you know, work on themselves, work on their anger, their arrogance, their stinginess, their, uh, you know, whatever flaws they have in their character, uh, when it pertains to other people and they think that they're doing enough by having a, uh, uh, being the first one to pray, being the first one to, uh, to learn, being the first one to, uh, you know, to uh, connect to Hashem in their way, and they think that that's sufficient, that's going to make up for their flaws with another person, then they don't realize, the Chazoni says, that in reality, they are mekul kalim. They are rotten, not only in their observance of the mitzvot between one man and another, but also in their observance of their mitzvot between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. And he gives an example, an example of somebody that's a frum yid, you know, a, a religious Jew, that uh, feels like he's doing enough, feels like he is religious, he shows up to shul, and he uh, prays, and he builds a uh, sukkah, and he has an etrog, and he eats matzah on Pesach, and he fasts on Yom Kippur, and he observes all of the mitzvot, all of the mitzvot that he has to observe between him and God, 
to his uh, 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 understanding he observes them he observes them but this is tested by the creator above in a very uh, 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 open format where this person goes to shul one shabbat and the gabai of the shul gives him an aliyah but he doesn't give him the aliyah that this person prefers such as the third aliyah or the sixth aliyah no he gives them an aliyah that this person doesn't believe is important he gives them the fourth aliyah or the fifth aliyah whatever this person deems is unimportant and this religious jew or at least in his mind religious uh shows his true colors at that moment and says the chazonish in the uh fifth uh segment of the third chapter and we're going to do the sixth segment but this uh this is a continuation and he says this person who claims to be uh you know that he uh, uh fears god and so on well his fear of god will not be strong enough to withstand this and he refuses to be called up to the torah meaning they tell him listen it's uh you know you're the fourth you you be the fourth come up you know do the blessing uh, read from the Torah or let the Chazan read it from the Torah you stand but next to him like everybody else have an Aliyah Aliyah to the Torah but since this particular Aliyah uh, was not up to his standards he refuses to accept it says the Chazonish this person refuses to accept it completely disregarding completely disregarding that there is a Torah obligation to accept such a thing in fact that uh, because he thinks that this particular honor is below his dignity according to the standards uh, that that he has he's not afraid at all of what Chazal what our sages say about a person that rejects the honor that's being given to him by the community to go up to the uh, Torah and saying no I'm not going up when they quote a verse from the prophet Yeshayahu, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 1 verse 28 and those that abandon the Lord will cease to exist where this refers to someone who is called up to Torah but does not go up in other words this man is rotten to the core for his evil inclination is what rules him all his mitzvah observance stems from habit as fits in with his sense of honor his desires and natural flow of life but just try to insult him and his behavior will undergo a complete transformation so here the chazonish finishes up the sixth the, the fifth section by giving us a story an example a real life example of a person in real life which unfortunately these things happen and they happen often where a person is being given an honor that's not up to his standard and instead of accepting it instead of simply just uh, saying thank you this person makes a whole scene and refuses to accept it because you disrespected him the honor you gave him is below him and therefore it's considered as disrespect and now he makes a big stink which causes a fight in the shul causes machloket a debate between people some people say no get up other people will agree with him and say no it's not enough he's an older man he should get it you know the fifth aliyah just give it to him and of course you're always going to have the Yetzirah fighting on both sides just to make sure that the fire is bigger especially on Shabbat Zohar Kadosh says that when a person is angry on Shabbat it's considered as if they violated Shabbat because anger is lighting fire anger is lighting the spiritual fighter so it's as if they lit the fire in Gehenom on Shabbat 
That's how horrible getting into a fight is. And usually these types of things happen on Shabbat. That's when it typically happens or on holidays. So here the, the Chazonish is given a real life example of how somebody, it could be for all intents and purposes, a religious Jew goes to shul, puts on tefillin, does everything that everybody views from the exterior as right. But the moment his honor is, a, uh, is not fed with, uh, with more honor to his standard, he shows us true colors that in reality is rotten to the core. His religiosity is simply robotic. There's really no connection to Hashem. It's all about feeding his honor. So now the Chazonish continues the sixth sec- section with another story. With another story, which again, we're going to see from this something where there is, there's, uh, there's uh, obviously a reason why the Chazonish takes a segue from everything that we've done thus far for the last couple of years where generally speaking the chazonish is teaching us the different ideological principles ideological beliefs different alachas different uh, uh, uh things that are necessary for a person to fix themselves for a person to be warned of. but now he goes into stories now of course the chazonish he's not a storyteller he's not here to uh to tell us a story just to put us to sleep at night uh you know so 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 the the, the parents can have coffee with uh, with some uh, peace and quiet for once no no here the the chazonish is using the same exact methodology as the rest of the sages as in essence the same thing as what hashem uses in the torah which is to teach us torah through the stories the question is how does this all connect to the source itself so the chazonish goes into the sixth section and he says the following there's a story told of such a man a charid meaning a charidi a religious man a charidi is in essence supposed to uh be a uh a symbolic of somebody that's not only religious where they keep shabbat uh but someone that has yirat shamayim that's in essence what charidi is supposed to apply uh, imply today unfortunately since everything is very fake in the world Haridi is literally based on you know the clothing you wear uh which is obviously idiotic but nonetheless there is this is the reality we live in in the world today that's why the sages call this world alma de shika the world of lies so now the chazonish continues and he says the story of such a Khared man for such a religious man is told who is who asked a respected visitor that came to town to visit him in his house the guest promised to visit him on Shabbat evening and the prospective host rejoiced at the promise because it would be an honor and a pleasure for him along comes the Satan and made this person this host forget to add kerosene to his lamp and he lit the lamp with only a small amount of kerosene left over from Thursday night see here just to fill in for you young folks in the previous generation before electricity became standard the way they would actually have light in houses is these lamps that had oil in them you have to have kerosene in them and you would have uh, you'd have to add it in order for the fire to continue in order for you to continue having light but for for, for observant jews they would have to make sure that whatever they uh, had uh used during the week is not what they're relying on for for friday because they need the light they can't add on shabbat you know during the week if you run out you just put more and then the light goes back on you obviously light the fire again but if the light runs out or the kerosene runs out 
on uh, Shabbat and the light goes out, you can't add anymore because that's in essence turning on fire, lighting fire. So here, this person who is very excited to have a very honorable guest, apparently maybe it's a big rabbi or whoever it is, is uh, comes to town and he invites him to come to his house to uh, because this would be a big honor for him to host this very important guest. And the Satan comes to, is allowed to test this person during this moment of truth and makes him forget because that's one of the things the Satan is responsible for, which is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness, tiredness, these are some of the things that the Satan is responsible for. And the Satan makes this person forget to add kerosene to his lamp. And therefore, the lamp that he lit, when he lit the lamp for Friday night, for Shabbat, he didn't realize that he didn't put new oil in there. So the only thing that's left in there is what he had for rest, left for the rest of the week from Thursday night, which is certainly not going to be enough to continuously light the house until the end of Shabbat, 25 hours later uh, or more, depending on when he starts Shabbat. So now a uh, the Satan makes this person forget. And now the, the Chazoni says, and it was a winter night meaning making this test even more difficult and the guest hasn't arrived yet and the lamp was about to go out already already this lamp it's only you know a couple of hours into shabbat and this guy realizes ah i forgot to put the kerosene in the lamp what am i going to do it's about to go out he sees it so this so-called god-fearing man says the chazonish so the so-called god-fearing man could not control himself when he thought of the shame that he would suffer when this honorable guest comes and finds him in the dark and therefore he added kerosene to his lamp on shabbos desecrated shabbat why because he didn't want to get embarrassed not because honoring shabbat or observing the mitzvah Onik Shabbat has nothing to do with it. He didn't want the shame of this honorable guest coming in and seeing, wait a minute, you told me to come here, you're gonna, you know, uh, honor me with, 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 your, with your house and everything. How could you honor me? Everything is dark. And this will spread. The whole neighborhood will find out. Of course, the guests will not be able to stay. We'll have to go somewhere else. They're gonna ask him, why, you know, what happened to, you know, you, didn't you already have uh, plans for tonight? We're happy to have you, but still interested. Why did you just show up? And of course, news will spread. The neighborhood will find out. This guy, you know, doesn't have, uh, you know, forgets. He's, he's, he's forgetful. He's senile. He's old. He's this. He's that. He just simply cannot handle the embarrassment. And therefore, he violates Shabbat. And he sued Torah by adding kerosene to his lamp. Such an occurrence, says the Chazonish, is not one of only a few sporadic cases in which a person fails but rather it's a constant phenomenon in the case of a man who has not tested who has not been tested in the realm of his traits and his entire behavior is based on habit which in hebrew is called mitzvat anashim elumada he says this type of behavior where a person violates shabbat because he just realizes that he forgot to put a kerosene 
in today's terms, it would be something like, you know, one of the kids just shut off your uh, electricity in the, the main dining room area on a night that you're having a bunch of guests. Or even if you're just you with your family, whatever the case is. One of the kids just played along. He doesn't know right or wrong. He decided to just shut off the, uh, the electricity. What do you do? Now, of course, everybody now sitting you know, uh, comfortable on a Sunday night, he's going to say, no, never turn it on. I keep Shabbat already for X amount of time or my whole life. I would never do it. But when push comes to shove, many people fail this type of test. Many people fail this type of test where they all of a sudden accidentally on purpose run into the lamp. Accidentally on purpose run into the lamp. Accidentally on purpose tell one of the kids to, uh, you know, go do it accidentally on purpose do all types of things of course there are certain solutions that could be allowed but again we're not talking about the halachic solutions we're talking about just simply people failing the test where this type of stuff happens there was a uh, story that was told by uh Nisim again uh years ago where uh, he said that there was actually one time a uh you know a big event at a uh, yeshiva and uh you know this uh person that was hosting it you know Lorraine the caterer was very very nervous because there was a lot of really big rabbis coming in and uh in the um middle of the night one of the rabbis you know decided to go downstairs couldn't sleep and uh heard some noise in the kitchen didn't know why is anybody in the kitchen in the middle of the night so he decided to just go in and he sees the caterer turning on the pot for the chulent what are you doing what are you doing he said no it's just uh, no big deal don't be it's just it turned off so i didn't want uh, it to be a chilul hashem where all the big rabbis are not gonna have any food to eat tomorrow so i figured that i could just turn it back on for the sake of the torah what sake of the torah all that food is not allowed now not allowed to eat any of that food this caterer obviously couldn't believe it but that's the halacha and of course these types of things do happen the yetzirah shows up especially when uh you you give him a little opening as it says in parashat bereshit uh, as hashem says to kain when kain is uh you know makes his uh brings a uh you know a korban a sacrifice that was uh, uh disgraceful and hashem rejects it hashem says to him la if you leave an opening leave a little small opening for the Yetzirah he's gonna run in and he's gonna run the show but if you do tshuva then uh, you can take over take over the show and uh, the Yetzirah is not gonna bother you so here we see that uh, anytime you have a little opening the Yetzirah is gonna come in and he's gonna try the evil inclination is gonna try to interfere and try to give you all types of tests because that's his job that he has full permission to, to give you these tests this is not something that he does out of his uh, own willpower this is something that Hashem himself allows him to do in order to test you in order to see whether you love Hashem or not so now when everybody's watching generally speaking most people can pass the test unless it's a test like the two that we heard about today from these stories where this uh, person uh, you know it doesn't get the right aliyah or uh, or the other but there are certainly many tests be, you know where it's behind closed doors no one sees no one sees uh, what you're about to do except what are you going to do what are you going to do during that time so of course there are 
uh, you know, many people that forget that Hashem is watching and, and, and listening and writing every single thing that you do. But uh, certainly people think that, oh, maybe I have enough of a reason that uh, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be okay. Hashem is going to just let this one go. And this is generally the argument that a lot of people uh, want to use uh, to excuse themselves from doing tshuva. I mean, it's not, not a day passes uh, that I don't get a message from somebody that has this type of mindset where, listen, I, uh, I had a tough upbringing. Uh, and, you know, by the way, as a side note, I honestly, at this point, after dealing with thousands and thousands of people, I don't know anyone who hasn't had a tough upbringing. Whether they had a tough upbringing or not is obviously subjective. Everybody, everybody you know, has their own way of dealing with things. But generally speaking, I don't know of anybody that doesn't say they had a tough upbringing. Tough time with the parents, tough time with poverty, tough time with uh, all types of abuse, bullying, whatever it is. Everybody had such a, you know, a tough time. But of course, you get the messages every day. Listen, I had a tough upbringing. That's why I'm a sex addict. That's why I'm a drug addict. That's why I'm a this addict. That's why this. So I don't agree with the fact that you say that uh, people like me, uh, because I, you know, I don't keep Shabbat, I'm going to go to Gainom. I don't agree that you say uh, that uh, because I uh, have a uh, girlfriend and a boyfriend and a dog and a cat and you know and all that type of stuff, then uh, I'm gonna go to and get and God's gonna punish me. What is he a monster? I think God understands me. And they have this type of logic that just because they had a tough upbringing, or at least to their you know according to them, that in essence justifies. All of their desires, all of the evil, all of the bad, all of the forsaken, all of the forbidden. And God needs to change the Torah in order to accommodate them. Unfortunately, there is enough wicked people that call themselves rabbis that will allow them to continue thinking this way and even enable them to think this way by saying to them, yeah, you're right, listen, you had a tough time. I understand. I don't know what I would do if I was in your shoes. So surely God understands you that you have three girlfriends, four boyfriends, and six dogs. And uh, surely God understands that you're a corrupt businessman and you steal from people because you're a baltzdaka. Listen, we have to, after you do good, you do good. So God will weigh the good and the bad. And I'm sure you do more good than bad. So even though you've caused several people to declare bankruptcy and suicide, Plenty of people brought babies to the world because of the money that you give in staka. And all types of warped logic that is certainly against the Torah does not work in any way, shape, or form with cheshbonot shamayim, with the, with the, with the accountings of, of, of heaven, but certainly makes people continue believing this lie because certainly they need somebody to agree with them because if nobody agrees with them, they'll change. So the Satan will constantly send these people, different people of authority, different people that are connected to them, that are going to tell them that it's okay, stay the way you are. You were born a loser, stay a loser. You were, you know, you were born uh, abused, stay abused. You were born a victim, stay a victim. You were born this way, stay that way. Which in reality is the opposite of the purpose of life. The whole purpose of our life, the whole purpose of why Hashem brought this, you know, people to this world is for us to grow, for us to overcome, overcome the obstacles, overcome the desires, overcome all of the different difficulties that he 
throws our way what do you think these difficulties come without hashem's knowledge without hashem's permission he's the one that's sending them to you whether that's test is your difficulty with observing shabbat or your difficulty with uh with uh you know uh, immorality or it's your difficulty with pornography or your difficulty with stealing and being a kleptomaniac or your difficulty with understanding or your difficulty with loyalty adultery uh your, your difficulty with uh, i don't know you got uh, raped when you were uh, younger or at some point in your life all of those difficulties whatever they are hashem is the one that brought them let no one you know fool you and think otherwise all of the difficulties where was god during the holocaust the famous question the only answer is god did it what do you mean where he was he's the one that did it he pressed the button he sent hitler he told hitler kill six million jews why that was the decree that was the decree and people that were you know glued to the torah understood it accepted and rose because of it due to it people that were far from the torah sometimes saw the truth and ended up doing tshuva sometimes used it as an excuse to abandon the torah but the reality is our holy torah tells us where are all your problems coming from the one and only god they're not coming from anywhere else he has messengers he has the etzerah that does this service and he has other angels that do other services but the point being is that a person needs to know that all of the difficulty that you had growing up or the difficulty you had from your marriage from your divorce from from some death in the family or health issues all of that is taken into account which means that hashem is the one that sent it to you and he still expects you to overcome this obstacle now of course he knows the lowliness of his creation the loneliness of humans and how we fail and therefore he gives us time and he gives us chances and he gives us opportunities he doesn't punish us right away when we fail but to say that we have a permanent license to to fail in perpetuity is is simply not realistic it's heretical it's against the Torah and it's it's evil it's literally evil to think that way because you're in essence telling the world that God made the world he gave rules but you have an exception no one else does just you or better yet God gave a bunch of different Torahs because everyone has some type of sad story this guy had a surgery that went bad this guy had a divorce this one had some death in the family this one had suicide this one had cancer this one had this this one had that and therefore everybody has their own special rules this one doesn't want to believe this one believes too much this one this this one that so what do you think Hashem is just simply going to change the Torah for every Joe out there that has some crazy screw in his in his in his head missing no the reality is we have a single Torah HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us all of us this Torah and we have to use it to the best of our abilities to overcome these obstacles but what ends up happening is that the Satan will send us different people to pacify us to enable us to continue being criminals to continue being victims to continue living in our past and one of the saddest situations that you could ever witness is people that live in their past they harp on their past they reminisce on their past they literally live in their past so much they do not even notice there's a present and needless to say they do not acknowledge the possibilities for the future they remember how they were in high school even though 20 30 years have passed they remember their first 
relationships, even though those relationships are long gone and everybody else moved on except them. They relate, they, they remember the money they used to have before they lost it, even though that money has already exchanged millions of hands. They remember their mistakes, even though there's been many opportunities to fix them and as many opportunities to overcome them. They remember everything from the past, thereby forgetting the present. They simply cannot move forward. This is one of the things that destroys lives. Needless to say, it destroys marriages. Let's say, for example, if, if a couple has a relationship and one of the people makes a mistake, whatever that mistake is, something that's forgivable, something that's not like a, uh, uh, that's unacceptable, such as, uh, for example, if the, uh, the husband makes a mistake and let's say he uh, calls another woman, if he, even if he cheats on on his wife now according to the Torah technically if the wife that he has wants to stay with him she can she can on the other hand if the woman cheats on the husband and there's proof the husband has no permission to stay with his wife these are two, the women and men are treated differently in this respect because of pregnancy and other laws but the point being is that let's say for example there is uh, some type of misbehavior we're not even going to take it to that extent but let's say something else the husband lied about something or let's say he took a bunch of the uh, family's money and he gambled it away or he took a bunch of the family's money and he invested it in something he didn't realize was really a gamble he gave it to one of his friend's businesses the business went belly up now when the wife is ready to buy a house uh, you know the uh, the you know she's looking for the money, but the money has already been long gone for six or eight months. She asks the husband. The husband comes, you know, comes uh, uh, and tells her the truth. I'm sorry, I gave it to the guy. He was supposed to give it back to me. Blah blah blah. The whole sob story. Now there's obviously a fight. Okay, there's an argument. There's tension. There's uh, distrust. There's a lot of issues. Question is, what are you going to do with that issue? If you choose. To stay together and overcome this obstacle together that's a great decision but it's only a great decision if you're really going to overcome it together meaning that okay i made a mistake i apologize you made a mistake i accept your apology move on don't remind them of what he did three years later four years later five years later or every single day for the next 20 years don't remind him of what he did you know every time you get into a fight don't remind him of all those things same thing vice versa she made a mistake she decided to take the credit card and spend your life savings on it because she thought that she needs a new wardrobe not realizing that you don't have that kind of money and she ends up buying herself a whole new wardrobe you end up getting kicked out of a house because you can't pay rent because of her and now you're gonna remind her of her irresponsibility for the next five years that's not getting over it that's going to destroy your life so one of the things that people do to destroy their lives is they simply live in the past they live in the past they don't really forgive they just say forgive just to move on now because I'm tired of fighting for now but the second you do anything wrong I'm going to remind you of every single sin you've ever made and this is a very very big mistake both for the marriage as well as for your relationship with Hashem because a person that doesn't forgive a person that doesn't forgive also is putting themselves in a situation that they're not forgiven they're not forgiven by Hashem so it's best to always be the one that forgives and forgives means it's out of your mind it's out of your mouth you're not going to say it anymore and it's also out of your heart but if a person likes to live in the past they enjoy the past more than they enjoy the present or the future 
that these are going to be a sad excuse for a life. Sad excuse for a life. Now, the Torah is giving us a lot of stories that are from the past. But these stories are not told to us because we need to harp on the past, but rather because there are so many valuable lessons in these stories that will teach us how to live the present in order to get a better future. A better future in this world, a better future for eternity. And needless to say, these stories also show us how the spiritual nervous system of the Torah connects. And it's not just random stories like the philosophers and the storytellers like to say, where it's just some story they come up with and it has nothing to do with anything. The stories that come from the Torah, and of course the stories that come from the Chachamim, have not just life lessons, but also they have a direct connection to the laws of the Torah, thereby the Torah itself. So here, the Chazonish is telling us, we have a problem. This guy is like everybody else out there. He's there, he believes he's religious, he's been keeping Shabbat for a long time, he's been keeping mitzvot, he goes to synagogue, he gives tzedakah, he does all of those things that a uh, more or less religious Jew does. But the second that he's tested, and his honor is at stake, everything goes into the garbage, and he violates Shabbat. So now, the conclusion that heaven at that point has on this person is that this person, all of what he did as far as his Torah observance, attending shul, giving tzedakah, praying, learning, whatever it is, all of that is fake. It's all something like a robot does. You know, you press your uh, button on a dishwasher and that robot in it will wash the dishes. Not because it likes to wash dishes, because that's what it does. Now, if you tell the dishwasher, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you make me some coffee too? It's not going to work out so well. If it talks back to you, give us a call. Perhaps we'll, you know, assign you to a mental institution. On the other hand, if you look at the dishwasher and you realize this is a robot, a machine, that you can press a button and it washes dishes, and that's what it does, and that's the only thing it's ever going to do, great, fantastic, or it dries them too. Fantastic, sometimes it dries them. Usually they come up with a little bit of water. But anyway, the key is to understand this is what it does. If you go to the coffee machine, it makes coffee. You go to the vacuum cleaner, it vacuums. You go to the air conditioner, it's, uh, you know, shoots out a bunch of water as soon as you don't change the filter. But more or less, it also cools the house. One of the beautiful things that all of these different machines that are in the world. Now, these machines have a role in the world. And Baruch Hashem, that Hashem gave us the ability to have these machines and to use them. Now, if you are a machine and your Torah observance, your Torah learning, your, your mitzvah observance is like that, then that's going to fail at some point. That's going to fail at some point when there's a moment of truth and your real character is being tested, that mitzvah observance is going to be thrown into the garbage. One of the places that you see this is when it affects family. Now, of course, we saw an example here where this guy didn't want to be, you know, uh, insulted or, or made fun of that he forgot to change the uh, kerosene. Real life example of today could easily be where somebody could be a from Jew, a rabbi, a this, a that, 
and one day he finds out that one of his family members chas v'shalom is gay he's homosexual he is a guy and he wants to go with other guys so if this is a person of truth if this is a person of truth this person is going to rebuke this person he's going to tell him it's forbidden and of course do whatever is necessary to help this person if help is possible and if it's not possible and this is one of these flaming homosexuals that goes on the gay parades and he doesn't care about anything he's going to distance this person from his life from anything that is related to his life as much as possible he cannot play with the kids anymore he cannot come over for shabbat he cannot be part of the of the uh, of the community no why because you are openly making fun of my father in heaven you're openly disregarding my father in heaven if your sexuality remained behind a closet door and dies behind a closet door by all means that's your problem but the moment you make your sexuality your sins a public agenda where you think that it's everybody's business to know and in fact everybody's business to accept and celebrate that's a problem so now the moment of truth comes to every family that has a homosexual in their family homosexual in their family if this person is a flaming filthy disgusting person that wants to be flamboyant about it and celebrate it and 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 start dressing like a girl or vice versa a girl dressing like a guy and all types of things you have a very serious problem why because you now have to disconnect from somebody that you love now of course if you realize that this person is not really themselves anymore they have so much of the ruach tum'ah the spirit of impurity on themselves that they're not normal anymore it's gonna be much easier but nonetheless what ends up happening sometimes is that all of a sudden this so-called religious family or this religious person becomes tolerant of homosexuals and little by little they start joining them where they don't become homosexuals but they become the biggest advocate for homosexuals all of a sudden they tell people listen everybody has a yetzerah he has this yetzerah you have other yetzerah we should love everybody and they do things like some of these reshaim out there whether it's shmuli boteach that has a brother that's homosexual and therefore that in itself by default makes him the biggest advocate for homosexuality on planet earth or it's a other people that uh, have all types of uh, filth in their life and in essence because they have filth in their life they decide that everybody needs to dance in it they have dirt in their house they feel like everybody should get dirty and this is obviously a person that is not a religious person not a person that has yirat shamayim and it's a person that failed the test miserably now i'm not saying that the test is easy but if you have yirat shamayim and you understand the basic principles of judaism that it's not really a test at all it's simply a reality now of course there are different tests for different people there are different tests for different people and a person needs to understand that you are going to be tested during your life on the things that you are weak in not just the things that you're strong in you're going to be tested in the strong ones but also the weak ones in order to strengthen you so part of the reason of why the Chazonish is bringing this story is because this type of story is really something that almost every person has to deal with this is a very general story because 
everybody wants to protect the name of the family their own personal name especially when they're part of a community sometimes communities can be judgmental sometimes you're new so you want to look good sometimes you're old so you want to look good whatever the excuse is so when the moment of truth comes the chazunish is bringing you a story that tells you listen if you don't prepare for that moment of truth before it comes you will fail you will fail miserably so thereby from there teaching us that here this story is one of the things that will help you observing shabbat and every other mitzvah now if you go further to understand the rationale behind other stories in the torah you have yourself this week's parasha this week's parasha Vayera, after we met avraham avinu more intimately last week saw how much of a superhero he was as the gemara uh tells us that avraham avinu literally is one of the is the reason why hashem didn't destroy the world again after noah because this was a even though hashem promised not to flood the world like he did at the time of noah he didn't promise not to destroy the world and the reason why he didn't destroy the world at the time of the tower of babel is because he saw in the fire he saw Avram Avinu Avram Avinu is coming it's worth it for me to keep this wicked world full of idol worshipers because Avram Avinu is coming and then in Parashat Lech Lecha Kadosh Baruch Hu tells Avram Avinu to leave his house to go to uh, from Haran to, to leave everything and the Midrash Rabbah in Parashat Lech Lecha says in reality this was the second time this Lech Lecha is the second time that Hashem told Avraham Avinu to leave and go to Canaan. When was the first time? Here we learn one of the principles of the Torah is that nothing is in order. There is no the, the, the Torah is not being told in order. So you'll have stories within the Torah, different events that took place within the Torah that are at later stages, but it really took place earlier stages. And the Midrash Rabbah says in Parashat Lech Lecha that the first time that Kadosh Baruch Hu told Avraham Avinu to leave Haran was when he was 70 years old not 75 like Parashat Lech Lecha says told him to leave it go and do the Brit Ben Abetarim go over there we'll do the Brit the covenant between me and you the three pieces I'll show you the prophecy of your descendants what's going to happen how they're going to live in Egypt for 400 years slaves and so on and so forth and then he made him come back but he didn't make him come back and go in a uh, easy in a, in a uh, difficult way you know climbing mountains on uh, on donkeys no 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 the midrash says how did akadosh bahu made avraham avinu go from where he was to where he needs to be very simple in style <whistles> flying in the air avraham avinu flew in the air meaning that by the time avraham avinu is in parashat lech lecha at 75 years old and akadosh bahu tells him hey by the way leave he already knows by the way Kadosh Baruch Hu, he's cool makes me fly makes me uh dance in fire a lot of cool stuff Kadosh Baruch Hu, he's uh he's no joke he is somebody that uh, knows how to make a uh make a story fun so here we question why is this story why do we have these stories in the Torah Avraham Avinu flying in the air Avraham Avinu in fire Avraham Avinu having to do like that Yitzhak with his son in this week's Parashat Vayera uh, Avraham Avinu having to uh, uh debate with Hashem in regards to Sodom and Gomorrah why do we need all of these stories so again we have the principle that the Rambam 
teaches us this is to learn the ways of God so what can we learn what can we learn here first and foremost we see from the first few sentences of parashat Vayera that nothing is at as appears Chachamim tell us Avraham Avinu had a very extensive Torah he was or he already knew the laws that would be later on when Am Yisrael will receive the Torah hence the reason why when uh, if you notice when the angels come to Sodom and Gomorrah and they go to Lot's house Lot makes the matzah why does Lot make the matzah because Lot who learned from Avraham Avinu learned that eventually there's going to be a holiday of Pesach and that was the time that Pesach was going to be in the future thereby he's given the, he's given the angels matzah so already we we see certain things we see certain words why does matzah appear in uh, Parashat Vayera, Vayera before Matan Torah because Avraham Avinu already had the rules of the Torah he already had the rules of the Torah already observed the Torah the Avot Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov observed the Torah so now you ask wait a minute but this is contradicted why because it says that Avraham that had these uh three what he thought were three Arabs he had these three Arabs come later on finds out they're angels but he's given them chalav, uh, uh, you know uh, he's given them uh, a uh, meat and uh and dairy how could this be so if you pay attention to the verses I said this once year a year or two ago if you pay attention to the verses you'll see something special where it says so Avram Avram takes um ran to the cattle took a calf tender and good and gave it to the youth who hurried to prepare it so Avram takes a calf gives it to Ishmael Ishmael goes shech this uh calf and uh and uh, prepare everything but then it says and then it says he meaning Avram took cream and milk and the calf that he had prepared which in Hebrew is really the the calf that he made what do you mean he made first of all if you're saying prepared it should be Ishmael prepared not Avram prepared so why does it say Avram prepared and if he said if it really says Asa Asa means made he made this calf what do you mean he made this calf so Chachamim teach us that Ishmael screwed up what did he do he tried to grab this uh, calf calf ran away and after running after him couldn't find him Avram didn't want to waste any time he's got guests he's got the Shekhinah waiting for him he's got a lot going on what does he do he uses Kabbalah Ma'asid one two three and he makes a calf he makes a calf and if you made a calf surely you could eat it with cheese with with with, with cream cheese with butter with whatever you want it's not real meat you made a calf so here that's why it uses the word asa so here we see that every one of the words carries special weight and there's a lot to learn from it further we go into the story we see that uh, Avraham Avinu is speaking to Hashem and he debates with Hashem Hashem what if you know there are 50 righteous people in Sodom Hashem says I won't destroy it 45 
We want to destroy it. But then he says, what if there's 40? What if there is 40? I will not wipe them out on the account of 40. So Uncle says, wait, he says, I won't wipe them out on account of 40. What does that mean, I want to wipe them out on account of 40? I will not destroy all five cities like I was originally planning to. I'll spare four of them. I'll only destroy one. Meaning that this debate between Avram Avinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not, listen, if there's 40 righteous people, then this is enough for everything to stay as is. No, 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 no. The, the, there's five cities full of wicked people. If you have a minyan of righteous people in each city, that city has a right to exist because at least the minyan can make people do tshuva. But if there's less, the city loses the right to exist. So here we learn that, again, from the story, we learn the ways of God. Certain things that are necessary in order for a city to exist. Certain things for necessary in order for a community to exist. This is one of the things that I always tell people when they have shuls or they go to shul. And uh, I always ask them, what kind of shuet Torah do you have in the shul? And they tell me, no, we don't have shuet Torah, really. Maybe once in a while the rabbi gives a dvar Torah on Shabbat, but really the rest of the week, we just go, we pray, and that's it. I said, that's not a shul. That's a place that's going, that's worthless. It's going to be destroyed one day. Why? There's no Torah in it. If you, a shul is not a place to just pray. A shul has to also be a bet midas. There has to be Torah learning in it every single day. People have to come into that place and learn Torah. If your rabbi is not spicing up things enough to get people to come learn Torah, that's a problem. If the community is not inviting strong speakers to come give the, the, uh, the, the people chizuk each and every week, not each and every year where they have a once or twice a year event, each and every week there should be speakers giving people chizuk. You have to have shulet Torah in a shul. Why? Because again, you are living in a world where a lot of it is Sodom and Gomorrah. In order for that shul, for that community to continue getting the right to exist, if you will, there has to be strong people within it. And strong people cannot exist in a place that has no Torah. Has no Torah. And you can't say, no, no, but he learns at home. Then HaKadosh uh, Baruch will protect his home. But it doesn't mean he can protect the community. So here we see that Avram is discussing things with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And then it says something interesting at the end of the discussion. Where after they go down to 10. It says, Vailech Adonai Ka'asher Kila Ledaber El Avram. Avram Shav Lemekomo. Avram returned to his place. What does it mean Avram returned to his place? Debate is finished. The fate of Sodom is sealed. That's it. What is sealed? I'm going to send the angels. The angels are going to get to Sodom. If the people over there have done tshuva by the time they get there, the angels will not destroy it. If they haven't, the angels will destroy it. So now the angels come and the Sodomites surround the house of Lot and it specifically says from young to old. What does it mean from young to old? What does it mean? It means everybody was wicked. There wasn't 50 righteous, 45 righteous, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, now there's even 10 righteous, nothing. Everybody was wicked there, everyone. And everyone came 
to do the one most disgusting thing that the city got its name after until this day it's notorious for sodomy they wanted to rape the two men the two angels they thought they're two men let us get to know them what does it mean so we may know them rashi says the entire community wanted to rape the two men this is why until this day homosexuality is called sodomy based on sodom and gomorrah when a person commits acts of homosexuality they are part of sodom and gomorrah they're not part of Klal israel they're not part of the righteous people of the world they are sodom and gomorrah and at one point or another akadosh Baruch Hu will uproot them from the world and for anyone that has learned enough gemara enough real history of the jewish people they will know that the biggest terrorizers of the jewish people throughout all of history have been homosexuals this is not some conspiracy against homosexuals it's simply a reality the gemara says that all of these kings whether it's belshazzar that was married to a dog that was his wife who was also a flaming homosexual or it was nebuchadnezzar that would uh, rape every king under him and he tried raping jeremiah the prophet or it's other people that uh, that uh, were, were kings alexander alexander the great uh was a homosexual the entire greek people that uh brought destruction to the better mikdash they uh celebrate homosexuality same thing like the romans all of these people were enemies of god with their personal behavior and thereby became enemies also of of his people and one of the things that the unfortunately the world and it's sad to say even the so-called orthodox world is trying to deal with today is the open homosexuality that's everywhere but many people are dealing with it in a wrong way where they're simply saying let's just accept them like everybody else and you now have multiple communities that are being led by homosexuals for homosexuals and still feel perfectly fine to call themselves religious and the reality is it's there's nothing further from the truth when akadosh Bahu specifically says in the torah that homosexuality is considered an abomination he considers it disgusting he considers those people as deserving of the death penalty and not just any death penalty the worst type of death penalty so here we see that this all stems from sodom sodom and gomorrah was destroyed because of sodomy and those people from sodom and gomorrah were the reincarnation of the generation of the flood that were also destroyed for the same sodomy homosexuality when zohar kadosh says when they made the marriage between man and man a mitzvah that's when they lost their right to live which is in essence what's happening in the world today today they're teaching about homosexuality in schools they're teaching little kids that go to public schools that homosexuality is perfectly fine that you should have a uh, you should celebrate that you have two fathers that if you don't want to be a boy even though you have a male member you don't have uh, you know uh, to be a boy you can be whatever you want this type of miseducation is literally 
a, a, a spiritual raping of the people of the kids' minds. And if the world of Torah does not fight back, then it's only a matter of time before another Sodom and Gomorrah outcome happens. Don't think for a second that coronavirus wasn't a uh, warning for the world. So And still is. So here we see from this so-called story, we are learning about the ways of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he did not kill the Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them. And the Midrash says that the sulfur fire that came from heaven, that it says in a Pasuk, that there was a fire from heaven that came down. This was not a natural event, but rather a supernatural event because HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the fire of Genom and poured it on Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, until this day, the place where Sodom and Gomorrah was is still dead land to this day. That's where the Dead Sea is. Nothing grows there. Literally, the, 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 the filthy acts of people that led to child molestation, rape, all types of uh, horrible abominations is something we need to learn about the ways of God, of how he simply detests homosexuality. If he didn't detest homosexuality, he wouldn't have destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He wouldn't have destroyed the entire world. He wouldn't have mentioned it, that it was the key to the reason behind destroying the Egyptians and also the Canaanite nations. They were all full of sodomy. Meaning that there is no room for error here. No one could ever think in their, in their, in their, in their mind for a moment that a Kadosh Baruch Hu will simply forgive homosexuality. It just simply doesn't happen. If you don't do tshuva for it, you will get punished severely. And if you have family members that you're telling them that God will understand you, or you have a rabbi that's telling you that God will understand you, even though you're homosexual, you are being lied to, or you are lying to yourself, or you are lying to other people. Why? Because God specifically taught us through this story that there is no room for error. There is, sodomy is unacceptable behavior, no less than how desecration of Shabbat or idol worship is unacceptable behavior, or bestiality is unacceptable behavior. So we hear, we see that Akadosh Baruch Hu simply despises homosexuality. But unfortunately, one of the things that we also learn in the story is that despite knowing that the place is going to be destroyed by these angels, Lot is said to delay leaving. Why is he delaying leaving? Because he's trying to save his money. And that's when the angels grab him by the hands and say to him, never mind the money, have pity on your life. Chus al nafshecha. Have pity on your life. What are you who's trying to collect your money? Take your money. Just get out. Let's get out of here. Your life is at risk. What can we learn from this? Many times, the, the failures of leaders and the community at large are because of monetary issues or personal interest. People know that everything we say in our lectures is 100% Torah. It's not my personal opinion. But the second that Torah that we state and we quote 
hurts somebody in the community's personal affairs of sins all of a sudden they say no no it's too fanatic what do you mean too fanatic it's written in the Torah it's written in the Torah yeah but uh, we don't have to talk about it well why did Hashem write it in the Torah if we don't have to talk about it and many times the communities fail at rebuking their own people at giving chizuk to their own people at simply giving their own people a taste of the truth so at least people can make an educated decision and worse yet many times they enable the people by telling them that everything is okay you'll get to it eventually you could stay a sex addict you could stay a drug addict you could stay a whatever addict because you give tzedakah and as long as you give tzedakah God will forgive you and there's obviously nothing further from the truth so a person needs to know that Lot was the same exact way Lot was the same exact way despite his life being at risk Lot did not see that as uh, something that uh, should stop him from uh, getting his money together now surely there are many stories in the Torah but we have to also see how all of this connects now we see that we have the Chazonish part of the Achonim the later sages that uh, connects the story to the Alachot of Shabbat the Midot we see how the weekly parasha connects to so many different things that apply to the world today what if we look at the Mishnah in the beginning of the Mishnah we see that there is a teachings a teachings that is extremely important that the more you delve into it the more you realize how extraordinary it is the Mishnah in Perik Aleph Mishnah number nine and ten two Mishnayot depending on what Nusach you have you might have it as eight and nine and it's a Mishnah in the name of one of the great sages as part of the Zugot Shimon ben Shatach it says Shimon ben Shatach Omer and then the second Mishnah it says actually it's the one before it so Shimon ben Shatach teaches a few things the second Mishnah that I mentioned he says in uh don't act when you're judging a case as a as a Dayan don't act as a lawyer while litigants stand before you consider them both as guilty but when they are dismissed from you consider them both as innocent provided that they accepted the judgment and then after that Shimon ben Shatach says interrogate the witnesses extensively yet be cautious with your words lest they learn from them to lie now of course the intricate details of what can be learned from these specific teachings we've already covered in our Pirkei Avot series so we're not going to go into that but what we're trying to get to now is why did he say these Mishnayot 
I mean, Shimon ben Shetach, one of the greatest sages that ever lived. This is a person that knew the whole Torah. Out of all of what he knew, this is what's quoted. This is what's quoted in his name in the Mishnah. To when you're judging a case, when you're acting as a Dayan, don't act as a lawyer while the litigants stand before you, meaning don't argue back and forth and, and try to use all types of a, uh, uh, speaking uh, skills in order to win uh, debates. Look at the facts as they are. The people that are in front of you, when they're in front of you, look at both of them as guilty, even if one of them is somebody that is reputable and one of them is rich and the other one is poor or vice versa, whatever it is. No, no, no. Everyone is guilty in front of you. When they're in front of you, judge things for what they are, not the uh, stereotypes, not the background stories, none of that. Just look at the facts for what they are. And as soon as they accept your judgment, then it doesn't matter what happened in the court, finished. They accepted the judgment, they accepted the fine, they accepted the punishment, whatever it is. Now they're your brothers again. Now they're your brothers. Now everything is good. So here he's teaching us about being a judge. Okay, I understand. I mean, he was a Dayan. He was the Av Bedin. I understand, but he was the head of the Sanhedrin. But still, I mean, there could be other things that he could have taught. Why this? Especially since there's a second Mishnah about the same exact thing, but just different teachings. Interrogate the witnesses extensively. Meaning in the first time, he told us, look at the witnesses as guilty until the end of the case where you've ruled and they accepted the ruling. And now he's giving you, by the way, when you look at them as guilty, not just look at them guilty in your, in your mind, but interrogate them. Interrogate them. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin talks about how they would ask specific questions to the witnesses. There would be a certain set of questions that they would have to ask them, a set, seven questions, that if they did not answer the, one of the questions, or they were contradicted by the second witness, they're both dismissed, and the person that they are witnessing against is free to go. Like they say, this guy, we're witnessing that this guy murdered such and such. They're going to ask these seven, these seven questions. Now, once they ask the two people, two witnesses the questions, or if there's three or four, however many people that came in to witness against this person that committed murder, or desecrated Shabbat, or uh, did something else. It's a capital punishment. They ask him seven questions about whereabouts, how they saw it, what was uh, certain things that are pertaining to the place and time of when this took place. If there's a contradiction between the witnesses, or they don't answer one of the questions, the witnesses are dismissed, and the person that is a alleged murderer is free to go. End of case. And they remind these people, if you're lying, and we catch you lying as the witnesses, you're going to get the punishment that he's going to get, that he was supposed to get. Meaning, if these two people, these two witnesses, are conspiring against another guy, that he murdered somebody else, or he desecrated Shabbat, okay? They're conspiring against, they're both liars. They don't like him for whatever reason. Shimon ben Shatach is going to question him. They answer the questions. They pass the first level. Then they ask him a second set of questions. 
which is not as strict as the first set of questions but nonetheless still an aggressive manner still intimidating then different witnesses come up on his side on the murderer's side on the uh, desecrator of shabbat side and they say listen these people say that he killed so and so on tuesday at five o'clock it's not possible that they could have even witnessed that he killed them on tuesday at five o'clock why because we saw them in a different city on tuesday wednesday thursday meaning they were in a different city the whole time at that moment when they're proven that these these witnesses lied they weren't really there they weren't really witnesses it's proven that they're liars those two witnesses get the death penalty they get the death penalty so it's big deal to be a witness in the sanhedrin it's not like you know in today's world you know you could be a witness you could be a criminal and nothing happens like this rasha named rudolf kastner rasha who was a uh, jewish guy that was a uh, conspiring with the nazis and instead of helping the hungarian jewish community run away from the nazis freed themselves from these nazis what did he do he saved of you know some of his own family members and and friends and let the rest of the nearly uh more than a half a million of them get murdered by these evil nazis when he was tried in a, a case against another person that actually called him out in the papers this guy named greenwald an old man that was uh, that was part of the hungarian jewish community who had a small little newsletter and he wrote that this Kastner was a Nazi conspirator. He, uh, he helped the Nazis. He uh, even helped one of them after the war get out of the uh, death sentence that he was supposed to get in. This uh, guy, Kurt Becher, and so on. The point is, this guy, Kastner, is an evil, evil person, sold his soul to the devil. They had this as, the, this is still to this day, the most famous trial in modern day history of Israel. This took place in the 1950s. There's several books written about it. Perfidy uh, by Ben Hecht is the uh, the most famous. There's also a book named The Seventh Million, and it's there's countless documentation about this. Anyway, during this case, it was proven that this guy Kastner, who was part of the, uh, the, the, the 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 government of Israel, part of the government of Israel, working in the government of Israel, was working as were and worked and benefited and made money and everything with the nazis instead of giving this guy a death penalty or at the very least a life sentence in jail nothing happened why that is the evil and the corruption of the judicial system of man whereas the judicial system of god doesn't have any of that garbage now of course there are mistakes that are made which we're actually going to go into tonight there are mistakes that are made but nonetheless it's not a systematic it's not a systemic mistake it's not a systemic mistake but today you could have one guy murder a person and get five uh years or ten years in jail and if he does if he doesn't kill anybody in jail he could be out in uh eight or seven years but if somebody commits a uh, victimless crime called uh, insider trading where he gets information from a company 
before uh, about their stock before it's public information he benefits out of it no matter how much money it could be a million dollars five hundred thousand dollars five dollars whatever it is he benefited out of it he can go to jail for 25 years meaning the guy that made a crime that actually killed another person could be in prison for less time than a guy that didn't hurt anybody or you could literally have two people commit the same exact crime both of them committed a ponzi scheme both and stole a bunch of money both of them uh, uh killed somebody both of them raped somebody both of them committed whatever type of crime if one of them has a lot of money and connections to powerful people he could also control the sentence that he gets much better than the guy that doesn't have any connections or any money the guy that doesn't have any connections or any money could literally die in prison whereas the other guy could be out within a couple of years that's the corruption of the judicial system of man hence the reason why i always tell people if you're going to choose a career do not be a lawyer why it's very difficult to be a from jew that's also a lawyer if you're going to be a lawyer go into business at least business law real estate law things of that nature if you learned all the laws there it's easier to do to uh to do good but to go into criminal law very very difficult to remain a religious jew when you're defending criminals because many times those criminals are really are criminals they're not just your victims uh that all your clients are innocent so the key is to see here that shimon ben shatach out of the wealth of torah that he had which the uh the gemara tells us that when he uh eventually uh uh took over the sanhedrin through the help of his uh, sister who was married to uh, Yanai the, the the king after Yanai who hated Jews even though he himself was a Jew he was a Jew from deformed past of Edom uh false converts and so on long story but anyway Yanai was a Sadducee and he hated the religious Jews and he did everything he possibly could to destroy the religious Jews and literally the entire Sanhedrin was made up of Sadducees which is like today's reformers the only one that was good was Shimon ben Shatach he was the only Orthodox Jew now his sister was married to Yanai and as soon as Yanai died his sister took power she's one of only two queens that the Jewish people had and she was a very very big tzedeket uh, her name was uh Shlom Tzion. she was known as Shlom Tzion. and uh together they took over kicked out everybody from the Sanhedrin replaced them with righteous people and the Gemara says that the next nine years that they were in control there was no greater time in the history of Ami said than this nine-year period as Shimon ben Shatach and his sister Shlom Tzion, the queen she was a very very big tzedeket and she saved his life before it's like a lot of history there so now out of all of what Shimon ben Shatach has to teach from the nine years of good from the agony and turmoil that happened before he chooses to tell us about how to be a judge and when you're dealing with witnesses especially why why what does this have to do I mean of course we can learn this particular Mishnah for three hours like we did during the Prekeavot series with completely new information but today we're going to go in a different route we're going to go in a route where to find out the story behind the story why did Shimon ben Shatach 
say these Mishnayot of interrogating witnesses, lest they learn to lie. Lying witnesses? Look at them as guilty? What does this have to do with? Rabotai, we have to dig. We have to dig deeper into the Gemara. Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin. The Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 44b, tells us about different intricate details of how the Sanhedrin works, the judicial system of Judaism works. And it gives a story which says that once happened that a certain person was being escorted to his execution. He was proven guilty in a Bedin and he was now they're going to take him to get stoned to death there was four different types of death penalties whatever he did the de- worst death penalty is stoning as the Gemara says in Masechet Sanhedrin in multiple places page 44 49 47 and so on worst death penalty uh, is stoning where they take the person throw him off of a building that's uh, three stories high if he didn't die after falling on his face because they would specifically push him off to make sure he falls on his face if he didn't die then they would take a boulder the two witnesses take a boulder one of them would push the boulder off to drop on him if he still didn't die then the rest of the community would throw rocks at him until he died horrible horrific death so now this place of death where the person is going to get stoned wasn't like next door to the bedin the Gemara says it was far away, six mil, like six miles. Meaning it took a while to walk there. Why? Maybe after they already passed the decree, now everybody's walking to go take this guy to the death sentence or the woman to the death sentence. And even, you know, killing him has to be done in a specific way with, even though it's a horrific it's intended to be with the least amount of embarrassment and suffering as, as as odd as that sounds and as details to it without clothes with a, they give him some alcohol all types of interesting things but now one of the things they did in order to uh, uh, protect people and try not to kill them is they made that the place where they would kill a person far away from the bedin itself why because maybe somebody would come last minute and say listen i have new information about the case that could change the outcome and they would stop tell the guy at the door he would wave a flag the flag would be seen by some guy that's really far down the road as far as the eye can see that's sitting on a horse he would see the 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 flag waved and immediately run to chase after the people that are taking this guy to go kill him and try to stop them stop them bring them all the way back to the bedin try you know, look at this information if it changes he's innocent if not they do the whole thing all over again they go back six mil back to stoning the guy what if it happens again they do the whole thing again another guy comes in listen i have new information that could change everything they wave the flag how many times could happen as many times as necessary even the guy himself that's about to be killed if he has new information that he just remembered 
that could change the case, he could say, I have information about myself. I have information about myself. They could stop him and go all the way back. Now, of course, the Bed Dean tried to do everything possible not to kill the people. And the Gemara says that if there was more than one death penalty given in seven years, some people say 70, it's not 70, seven years, then uh, this is something wrong with the Bedin. Meaning there was, it was not easy to simply give somebody a death penalty because you had to not only have witnesses, there has to be specific structure, and it was literally a uh, everything possible was done to try to not kill people. But now, sometimes it happened. Sometimes a woman is careless, obnoxious, commits adultery, despite the witnesses, despite everybody knows, she's like taking revenge against her husband. And guess what? They have to kill her. And it's a horrible death. Or a guy. He commits idolatry. Doesn't care. He hates God. Wants to commit idolatry. Wants to go to Yoshke. Death penalty. So these things did happen. So now, this Gemara tells us about one of those times this happened. And now the guy is being escorted to his execution. But when the time came for him to confess his sins, because when they were a short distance away from the site where they're, they're going to kill the guy, they would stop and tell him, okay, it's time for you to confess your sin. So at least this death penalty will absolve you from the sin. You confess, you get punished, that's it. At least you'll have a share of the world to come. You won't go to Ganon forever if you violated Shabbat or, or something like that. But if you don't confess, the death will not uh, uh, cover your sins. You'll have to suffer even in the eternal world. This we also learn from the story in uh, the book of Joshua about Achan. Achan, Gemara says, Achan was a mamash. He violated every book of the Torah, everything in the Torah. He didn't just steal from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the things that were forbidden for him to use. The spoils of war that were, uh, in essence, uh, uh, given as a uh, donation for the, uh, uh, for, for, for the um, house of God, for the uh, Mishkan. He stole from there, and he uh, stole from others, but that wasn't it. He also was a rapist. He also wasted seed. He also did, like, literally violated all aspects of the Torah. And on top of it all, even after Yeshua Benun found out that he's it, he still denied it. Until Yeshua Benun told him, no, come on, admit that you did it. Don't make it uh, as if the, uh, the, the, the system of Hashem just used the Urim and Tumim. Pointed at you, pointed at your tribe, pointed at your family, pointed at you. There's millions of people here. Don't make it uh, like the Goal system, the lottery system that we have that's divinely inspired is, uh, is, is, is nonsense because the land of Israel is going to be divided into each tribe based on this system, based on this Goal. So Achan accepted the sweet talk of Yeshua Benun 
and admitted, you're right, I sinned against Hashem, I made this crime and that crime on this day and that day, and literally a whole slew of crimes that this Achan made. Big criminal. But, says that Achan has a share of the world to come. Why? Because he admitted to a crime, he got punished, he got the death penalty, and, I, and then he, therefore he has a share of the world to come. So now, there was a, from there we learned that you have to admit. In order to have a share of the world to come, you have to admit before the death penalty. So this guy, we're back to the original story, this guy is about to confess his sins. And he says the following, If I have truly committed this sin, for which I have been c- condemned to, let my death not atone for any of the sins that I have accumulated over my lifetime. But if I have not committed this sin, which is what he obviously he's saying he didn't commit the sin, if I did not commit the sin, let my death atone for all of my sins and let the court and all of Israel be free of all blame for my death, but the witnesses who conspired against me, let them never find forgiveness for what they have done. See here, the, here the Gemara says, the sages hear this and they get weak. Whoa. We've heard people deny that they've made the crime. We've heard people blame the Dayanim for making a mistake. We've heard this, we've heard that, but here we never heard. This guy is saying, I know God, I know I'm religious, I know if I really made this crime that you guys convicted me of, if I really did it, let me suffer even in the next world. Technically, I could say, let this, uh, you know, atone for me. After you kill me, I go to heaven anywhere. Everything's good. No, no, no. I'm telling you, if I really did what you guys convicted me of, using the Torah, using the system, let this death penalty not be anything for me. I'm still going to suffer more. But if I didn't do it, which is what I've been saying all along, I don't hold anything against the people or the judges The only thing that I want is that Hashem take revenge against those witnesses that conspired against me because it's all them. It's all there. They, they did it. Not me. When the sages heard this, they said, listen, what can we do? We can't return him and retry the case. Torah doesn't allow us to. Decree has been issued. On the other hand, we have to execute the guy. The witnesses hear this, what the guy said. The witnesses come to the Dayanim and say, listen, we lied. We lied. Now you would think, logic, human logic, the witness comes and says, everything I said is a lie. What would you logically think? Oh, okay, case is canceled, this guy's free, da-da-da, thank God, right? Everything, oh, wrong. That's not how the Dayanim, that's not how the Sanhedrin works. That's not how the Torah works. Decree is issued if the witnesses 
themselves come and say we lied or we change our mind we don't listen to them why it could be they're being paid off it could be they're getting weaker now that they realize that this guy's gonna die all types of reasons point is you had your opportunity you said it that's it the only way we could cancel this is if somebody proves you are liars or there's new information this is not new information has to be somebody else so long as there's nobody else we have to continue with the sentence and they end up killing this guy sounds like we just killed a righteous person right what does this have to do with the stories for that we need to go into another story rashi comments on this story because at the end of the story it says the condemnation of these sages on these witnesses was necessary only because the the witnesses provided a plausible motive to explain why they lied when they gave their original testimony and this sounds similar to the incident involving Baya the tax collector huh Baya the tax collector who's that Rashi comments who's this Baya the tax collector anyone that has learned Torah knows that everywhere you go you find Rashi but Rashi is known to tell us what does the verse mean giving us a little background details but he's not known for telling stories but here he does and a long story it is Rashi comments here and this is also something that's quoted in the Yerushalmi the Gemara the Yerushalmi and Rashi says what is this story of Baya what is this and this is an extraordinary story that connects all of the stories that we said look at how interconnected everything is how the spiritual nervous system of the Holy Torah works it's a long story hold your chair it's unbelievable there was once a tax collector a Jewish tax collector that was evil why evil the Caesar the king would tell him listen go to the Jewish community you're responsible get them to pay me 10 million dollars in taxes he comes to the Jewish community king wants 15 million dollars in taxes king said 10 yeah but he wants 15. why because Baya needs to get a five million dollar mansion king sends okay tell the Jewish community to give me five million taxes Baya comes listen the king says he wants 15 million but the king said five 15 million they can't say no why Baya is in essence works for the king this evil tax collector tortured the Jewish community for years one day Baruch Hashem he died at the same time that he died a righteous Jew died and the community that took the righteous Jew to the cemetery went on the same road at the same time as the family of Baya no one from the community came to the funeral of Baya the tax collector because he was evil and everybody hated him even his own family so only a couple of people from his own family carried the body 
But the righteous Jew had a bunch of people. But as there was the times back then, as soon as they got to a certain part of the road, a bunch of bandits attacked everybody, trying to rob everyone. Everyone ran away, saving their lives, their possessions, everything, leaving the bodies of, of, of Bayer, the tax collector, and the righteous Jew, that was a Talmud Chacham, over there on the floor. Only one person was left behind, one of the students of the righteous person was hiding next to the uh, uh, one of the uh, coffins over there. No one noticed him. And he saw the whole thing happen. Everyone ran away. After a while, people came back. They have to bury people after all. Bandits went away. Everybody got okay, is okay. Okay, we got to bury these people. And what ended up happening? They mixed the bodies. The, all of these students, the community, took the body of the tax collector and buried him with honor, with kavod, and took the body of, uh, and, and the family of the, of by the tax collector, took the body of the righteous Jew. Now the student was there yelling and screaming, no, 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 don't do it. What are you doing? It's the wrong one. But since he was young and... They already had enough trouble for that day. No one wanted to listen to him. But this loyal student couldn't get over it. He cried and cried bitter tears over it. A little time passed, meaning a matter of days, and the righteous rabbi comes to the student in his dream. And this is all Rashi telling us. And the student sees the rabbi says oh Kvodarav, you look good but i don't understand please tell me why did this all happen why you were so righteous you were so holy your whole life how come you got so you know such a horrible decree that your funeral was such an embarrassment where these wicked people buried you instead of the community and the sage says to him fear not my son don't worry. Look where I am. I'm in Gan Eden. You see, everything's okay. But the decree had to be that way. Because one time years ago, somebody from the community insulted a fellow Talmud Chacham. And I was there. And I did not rebuke this person. Even though the rest of my life I did good, I rebuked, I did everything that one time I missed. And because of that, in heaven they judged, either you go to a certain amount of time in Gainom, or you get this horrible burial. And that's what, because Hashem loves me, He gave me the punishment in this world, the embarrassment in this world, and therefore I got this horrible burial. But now I have a good decree, I'm in heaven, and everything is good. So the student asks the rabbi, okay rabbi, what about a... Uh, you know, what about this wicked person, Baya, the tax collector that tortured the Jewish community? Why did he deserve such an honorable burial? He says, don't worry, my son. That also is taken care of in Shemaim. You see, Baya, he was a wicked person. He tortured the Jewish community for many years. One time, he got a bunch of money together that he took from the Jewish people, and he made a party for one of his a uh, 
government officials that was coming to visit a big event and his government officials stood him up he didn't show up and because he didn't show up bias said okay he's not showing up there's no party yeah like get rid of the food people said okay what are we going to do with this food get rid of it what throw it out i mean chabal you know waste the food so you know what give it there's a bunch of poor people outside go give it to them and for that one mitzvah that he did of giving the food to the poor people hashem says i don't want to give him heaven he's a wicked person let me give him a reward in this world as it says in parashat vayet hanan Meshalem el sonav el panav that Hashem pays his haters reward to their face in this world in order to eliminate them let him get a very honorable burial the whole community is burying him in essence without realizing it's him but he's still getting the honor but now my dear son the sage says to his student this baya is suffering in Gehenna in fire and he's having a hell of a time let's say so he actually rashi goes into how this guy is being burned in genom another source another reliable source about the fire of genom so when the uh student asked the rabbi how long is he going to be in genom the sage gives him a cryptic message he says to him, he's going to be in Genom until Shimon ben Shatach comes here to replace him. What? Shimon ben Shatach, the Gdolador, the biggest tzaddik in the world, has to go to Genom to replace him? Why would he even go to Genom in the first place? Why would he go to Genom in the first place? So the rabbi says to him, this is why I was allowed to come to see you. You have to go tell Shimon ben Shatach that if he does not go and kill the 80 Jewish witches that are doing witchcraft, he's going to end up in Genom replacing Baya. If he kills them, then of course he doesn't have to replace Baya. Baya will stay in Genom forever. But that's why I was allowed to come see you. This guy wakes up. Of course he runs to Go see the Gdolador Shimon ben Shatach. And, sh- and he tells Shimon ben Shatach about his dreams. He says, Kvod Arav, I know you, may, you don't know me. I'm a nobody. But my rabbi, he, had, he came to me in a dream. He told me, I don't know anything about witches, but he said that there are 80 witches that live in a, around here somewhere. And uh, it's your responsibility. And Hashem is upset that you're not taking care of it. Shimon ben Shatach took everything to heart he says you're right I have to deal with it right now right away Shimon ben Shatach the very same Shimon ben Shatach that was in the Mishnah telling us about how to handle a court system Shimon ben Shatach takes 80 Bachurim 80 Avrechim from the Kolel from his yeshiva he says okay boys we're going on a field trip each one of you bring a robe and bring a big pot and we'll go on a field trip of course in those days the Talmudim hear the rabbi say something they listen to the rabbi not like today the rabbi say something and they start arguing with him are you sure rabbi i don't really think you're reading it maybe nah eh, eh, no 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 back then rabbi says people do so they get the robe they get a pot they get on their horses 
And they go. And it's a rainy day. Really rainy day. Pouring out. Where are we going, Rabbi? We're going to the castle of the witches. Those 80 Jewish witches in this castle. And the Torah says, Machshefa lo A woman that commits witchcraft has lost her right to live. Be careful, ladies, that deal with these types of things. It's a death penalty. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not tolerate witchcraft whatsoever. Now, how do you deal with 80 witches? No, you know, the witchcraft works. It's not scary stuff. There's different stories I've told you guys at different times of how witchcraft was serious business. We're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, a little, uh, you know, making a bunny coming out of a hat. Serious things can happen. These people were dangerous. They can kill people. They can do a lot of different damages. And there's different places in the Gemara that talk about the different damage that different witches made. And this group certainly caused a lot of damage. And unfortunately will cause more damage later on. So now Shimon ben Shatach has a plan. He says to all of his Bachurim as soon as they get to the castle, you guys stay outside here in the rain. Once you hear me whistle once, you take, you open the pot, you take out your robe, you put your dry robe on because it was pouring rain outside. Second time you hear the whistle, you come inside and just grab whatever witch you have and pick her in the air and start dancing with her. Okay. Shimon ben Shatach goes inside. He had a very intimidating demeanor, very chashuv look and of course all of these witches that are doing all types of horrific things in there see this very intimidating person coming in and says who are you and what what business do you have here and he says i'm a sorcerer coming here to test you to see if you're worthy of me sharing some of my sorcery with you perhaps we can do things together and of course they all laugh oh you're a sorcerer you come to test us. We know, of course, more. We're the most powerful. Like one of these fairy tale movies, but this actually really happened. And he says to them, oh, I don't believe you're really strong, sword. Show me what tricks you have. And each one of the witches takes a turn to show them a different trick that they have. Different magic that they have. And then, of course, after they all show off their magic. They ask Shimon ben Shatach, no, and you? What do you have? What can you do? He says, I can do a lot of things. I can even make a magic that would make 80 guys show up here and just start dancing with each one of you. And just to show you that these people are not just waiting somewhere, they're all going to come in and they're all going to be dry because it's raining outside. So, of course, they say, okay, no, we want to see it. So, immediately he whistles once. That gives the boys a couple of seconds to put on the robe. Whistles two, two times. And everybody runs in, smiling and singing. And, of course, all the witches are excited. Oh, a bunch of guys. Wow, this is a cool trick. And every one of them is grabbing the witch, throws them on their shoulder and pretending to dance with them while they're in the air. Little do they know that after they're all in the air, Shimon ben Shatach says, okay, now boys, we all go. Do not let any of them touch the ground. Because so long as they're in the air, 
they have no power to do witchcraft they take them all out and shimon ben shatach kills every single one of them all 80 of them get a death penalty at that moment now usually you're not allowed to do two death penalties in one day but this was an exception because these were dangerous people now there was one person that saw all of this and went and reported it to the family of these witches the other side that they had and of course they had to declare war back and one day two people normal looking jews show up to the beddin of shimon ben shatach and say we have a case against the son of shimon ben shatach so of course he cannot be a dayan because he's nagua he's biased it's his son he can't be a dayan on the sanhedrin we have a case he committed a capital offense they ask him the questions these people are well prepared they have the right answers they ask him a next second of questions they have the right answers shimon ben shatach's son gets convicted of a capital punishment and now they're taking him to get a death penalty as he gets closer to get the death penalty they tell him no do what we have to do <clears throat> even though you know you're a chacham, you know all of this admit your sin so at least there'll be a repentance for you the son of shimon ben shatach says if i committed this sin let this death penalty not be repentance for me but if i didn't commit the sin i don't hold anything back bad against the people the the, the yanim they all follow the laws of the torah but let this death penalty be a repentance for any sin that i've made during my life and let hashem never forgive these witnesses because they are liars and they made up the whole thing as soon as the witnesses heard this they got scared and they came to the dayanim they said okay okay we lied we're joking we're joking we lied why'd you lie the witches paid us to do this and even though even though this is new information the law doesn't allow us to change the deen and even though shimon ben shatach could have changed it even made an exception he's the head of the Bedin. his son was so righteous was such sadiq he said abba if you do that it's going to be a chilul hashem why because everyone's going to say oh it's not really the law of god it's the law of shimon ben shatach let them kill me and hashem's name not be desecrated therefore this whole case shimon ben shatach the righteous tzaddik Dolador, loses his own son and therefore from that story we now know why shimon ben shatach out of all of the torah that he knows he chose to teach us in the mishnah in masechet avot these specific things when people are in your court look at them as guilty it doesn't matter it's your son it doesn't matter it's this it doesn't matter is that everyone's guilty until they accept the judgment but also when you're questioning them make sure to interrogate them make sure to be aggressive and make sure why because people are liars and if they have an agenda you they could fool the bedin they could fool the bedin be careful i lost my son because of that they fooled the bedin 
Here we see, Rabotai Karim, how the stories all connect, all connect to the central nervous system of the Holy Torah. And of course, one of the most extraordinary things that we see in the world today that is attacking the Jewish world is the heretical, idolatrous behavior of the Christian world that is coming from people that call themselves Messianic Jews. And therefore, these people are coming into Jewish communities pretending to be Jews and sometimes not needing to pretend they're Jews because the rabbis will invite them to the synagogue anyway. And for any of you that have watched our shiurim in the past, we tell you that these types of people that are connected to Christianity, that are missionaries, the Torah calls them minim. Minim. So the question is, did the Torah just come up with this word? Can you find the word min? The Rambam in his Ilchot Rotzeach, chapter 4, Alecha number 10, he talks about minim. These minim are idolaters that perform transgression for the sake of angering God. It says it's a mitzvah to kill minim in Apikosi. And he gives a, uh, what's implied is if, if, this, if this min falls into a hole, don't save him, let him die in a hole, all types of things, meaning there's a very aggressive behavior towards people that are missionaries. Now, of course, we're not telling anybody to kill anybody right now, but we see how the Torah treats these minim. And of course, the Gemara in Masechet Sanedrim says that when somebody was being accused of being a missionary, all of the rules of judgment are changed for that person. Where unlike all of the other cases where the Sanedrim, the Dayanim, are looking for ways to find this person innocent, when he's a missionary, they look for ways to find him guilty. And even if they help, they can help him, they don't help him. That's how much the Torah is against these minim. The question is, the Gemara mentions minim. The Mishneh Torah of the Rambam mentions minim. The Holy Torah mentions minim. Where does this word minim comes from? One of the holy sages, the Baal Aruch, he writes that the word min is something that came from the original Christians who called themselves ma'aminim, meaning believers. The original Christians called themselves believers, which is in Hebrew is ma'aminim, and therefore the sages shortened ma'aminim to minim. Meaning that the word min is specifically something that was created for the Christian missionaries. Because they were missionaries back then and they're still missionaries today. And guess what? For anyone that knows a little bit about Christianity, till this day, they call themselves believers. So anyone that tells you that it's okay to bring a Christian to a, uh, to a Jewish ceremony, to a synagogue, to befriend them, this is not the truth. Because our Torah, through its stories, 
that connect to the laws, that connect to the Gemarot, that connect to the Mishnayot, that connect to everything else in the Torah, tell us every story, whether it's by God himself or by his sages that say his word, is always connected to, to the rest of the history of Am Yisrael, to the rest of the laws of Am Yisrael, to the rest of the Torah of Am Yisrael, because it's all one spiritual nervous system. So we see here, Rabotai Karim, that every single thing we have in the Torah has a purpose. And there's nothing more extraordinary than a story from the Torah that you delve into and delve into and delve into to realize that this, like the rest of the Holy Torah, is endless. And there are more lessons to be learned from the same story that you've heard countless times. Why? Because this too is the Holy Torah. Hopefully this too will give a, each and every one of us more chizuk, not only to learn more Torah, not only to observe more Torah, but to have more faith in the Torah at times we don't understand. Have more faith in our sages in times we don't understand. Have more faith in the overall system. At times it disagrees with our lowly logic. Because if it's Torah, whether it be a story or an alacha or anything else that's out there, if it's from the Torah, it's connected to the source. And once something is connected to the source, it is true. It must be true. And the only mistake that's being made is our lackings of accepting it to be true. Yiratzon, maybe his will, that we accept it to be true, whether we understand it, like it or not. Most importantly, Yiratzon, we accept it, and accept Akadosh Baruch Hu's Torah blindly, because that's when he's really going to open up our eyes to see the truth for what it is. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.